0: actors talk podcast episode 51 welcome everybody to actors talk podcast episode 51 i bet you thought it was never going to get here uh sometimes i did too my name is tommy g kendrick i am the producer and the host of our digital get together man oh man has been far too long since i've gotten behind this mic to do one of these podcasts and it's great to be back thank you so much for everyone who got in touch to say hey man are you still with us what's going on are you okay and are you still doing the podcast and the answer is yes i am okay and yes i am still doing the podcast just had to Uh, Take a little break, and it was not intended, but um, I think uh, I mentioned last time, and you can even hear in the intro to the previous episode how terrible my voice was, and I was having ongoing problems with bronchitis, really kind of serious issues with bronchitis over an extended period of time, and so fortunately that has all cleared up, I hope and pray. Don't want to go through all that again, and then some other family issues that are in some It's to some extent ongoing. I have an almost 98-year-old mom that I spend as much time as possible helping to take care of. She, in fact, took care of me when I was little. So it's my turn to return the favor now that she's in her senior, senior years. And um, so that's taking... Uh, a good bit of time and time that I would not want to devote in any other way but it's all those things have sort of conspired to derail me from the podcast for a while but I think I've got a handle on everything now and can get back to producing episodes on a regular basis and I'm thrilled to do that. Tonight's episode is an interview with actress and producer Anita Cordell. Anita resides in the Kansas City area of the United States so if you're not with us here in the USA, look that up on a map and you'll find it's some very, very interesting territory and lots of interesting things going on in the Kansas City area. Not the least of which is the film production work of my guest, Anita Cordell. Anita is an actress, very busy, just going gangbusters in commercials and films. She's, um, I don't know how many commercials she has running right now, but uh, more than one, I think, several. She's very, very busy. She's a terrific uh, commercial and film actress and a wonderful producer. She's doing something that I've talked about a lot on the podcast, and that is actors getting out and being proactive and creating work. She doesn't just produce projects that she can act in, she produces projects that she is passionate about. And we're going to be talking. About one of those projects in this episode we 'll talk about being a regional actor and some ep- some uh, issues with that, which hopefully will apply no matter where you are, whether you 're in the u s or somewhere else around the world, and you may be outside a main production center wherever that is for you we 'll talk about some of those issues that actors have to deal with in regional markets, but we 'll also talk about working in short films, something that i 'm having an increasing interest in because I'm a, I just I like the format and because of my age work for me in mainstream work seems to be slowing down. And so I'm always available and trying to make myself available to do short films. And I'm looking to produce something myself, actually. So I'm looking for a project to do as a short film, even as we speak. I'm in that beginning stages of trying to find a project to do. One of the projects that Anita is intimately involved in now and one of the main topics of our conversation is a project called I Will Rise. This is an ambitious five short film series about the very serious topic of sex trafficking. And we'll be talking in depth about that project and how it's uh, sort of going to be uh, rolling out. The first of the five films has recently been completed at least uh, production has it's in post now and that's called house mother the overarching title is called i will rise the first project is house mother and we'll talk all about that project and producing and acting and all those good things with anita cordell coming up right now let's just get to it all right thank you so much again god bless you all i really really appreciate you being my listener thank you and I hope you get something out of this episode. I'm, I had a terrific time talking to Anita. And as usual, I like to start off by finding out some background on my guests, where they grew up, what their family life was like, and such as that. Hope you're as interested in those things as I am. Let's talk to Anita Cordell.
1: I actually am a PK, and if anybody doesn't know what that is, it's a pastor's kid. (laughs) It wasn't necessarily a creative family because we weren't involved in film work or any of that nature.
0: Where was growing up? Was that in in Oklahoma?
1: You know what? I was actually born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but um, early on, we traveled a little bit. My dad took a few different pastoral positions, so we moved around a lot, but then Um, We kind of based our foundation when I was in second grade in Leavenworth, Kansas, and that's where the majority of my growing up years consisted of. So
0: you're pretty much a Kansas girl then.
1: I am. I am a true Midwestern.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did you go to college?
1: I actually studied business management, um, business administration with an emphasis in marketing.
0: Okay. Well, that comes in handy.
1: It yeah. does.
0: <laughs> at that I, time, I'm a
1: product, so I need to market myself, yeah. right? <laughs> when, when
0: you were in college, did you have any idea at that time that you would be headed into the acting field, or did that come later?
1: It's funny that you asked me that because I'm writing actually a book called Breaking a Leg in a Non LA Market. And the way that I start the book out is I talk about the very question that you kind of just alluded to is, when did, When did you start acting? It's funny because I share a story of when I started doing film and commercial work back uh, about seven years ago in Kansas City. Someone just asked me that. When did you start acting? And I remember staring blankly at this person in an effort to appear like I knew a wonderful answer and I was fully prepared to make give them what they were needing and I ended up making up an answer. And <laughs> I, I'm not proud of that partial lying at all. But I, I, and I really didn't intend to just spurt out some answer. I just really didn't know myself at that time. And I remember really, really wanting to know how to answer that question. Oh, well, wait, so wait a minute, wait a
0: minute. You're answering huh? the question of when you began to act?
1: Yeah. Like, when did you start acting? <laughs> because I I really, honestly, I could not give them a definite answer. And it, to me, it was more than just starting in film work back seven years ago. To yeah. me, that was not, not the basis of it. It happened even prior to that. So I started kind of doing this soul search to try and figure out, like, why did I make it that answer? And in fact, it really went to early on when, when I was younger, when my dad I'd, like I mentioned, was is a pastor. Yeah. So for as long as I can remember, I've had opportunities to be on stage, and that stage work wasn't necessarily performing in a play sure. or doing some theatrical production or whatever. He he would just merrily ask us kids to get up on stage and perform, whether it was singing a song or or doing these little little tiny skits or singing a uh, singing a solo or a duet or even praying playing the piano playing my clarinet or whatever and i realized that that kind of actually just was the beginning of the performer side of me
0: sure well you that, know how, how many great singers have you heard through the years who've going to ask where did you start singing it very often was church choir you know yeah so there yeah. It, it's it's actually a great ground for getting up in front of people and performing whatever it is whether it's a song or or reading scripture verses or doing a skit for a sermon or whatever it is it can often be uh, actually a good training ground and maybe a really good training ground because it doesn't seem like that at all that's not the point yeah. of it you know
1: yeah so. and and when i was growing up i didn't i can't honestly say that i loved it in fact i mean no offense at all to my parents at all but there were seasons That I can kind of remember that it was a little embarrassing. I was a shy kid. I remember kind of, you know, just not really embracing being in the limelight. It just was shy and uncomfortable for me. So I can't really say that I loved it. But answering that question of when did you start acting, it forced me to understand myself a little bit better. And it forced me to understand my roots and embrace that and love that now because it's totally been a part of who I am today.
0: Well, when, maybe a better question is then, not when did you start acting, when did you feel this calling or this desire, if if it's not a calling, and I, I suspect it probably is, I think it's a calling, in fact... To, to sermonize a little bit. I think if as, as a profession, I think if acting isn't a calling, you better be doing something else because it's really too difficult to be doing if it's anything else. But when did you really feel a, a desire to start acting in a way th- that was maybe more on a professional level?
1: Um, when it was probably about 18 years ago, I'm guessing. Um, I, I switched to a very large mega church here in Kansas City, and they were taking volunteers and people were signing up to help with cast of this very large Christmas program called Tribulation Christmas. And my daughter was three at the time, and they were taking little tiny angels. She kind of wanted to do it at three. And so I I signed her up with the intent of being in the background and helping in the nursery and helping get the little kiddos dressed and what have you. And at the very end, right before the, the first opening weekend, they said, we really need an adult to lead these little angels out in this big sanctuary onto this big stage. We really don't trust them kind of thing. Would you do it? And so... I ended up leading this group of about 30 little angels out as the lead angel and it kind of just sparked a a very strong desire to to revisit this whole stage life and from then on I was a part of that production for 10 years. I remember the very last uh, time I played the lead on opening night, right before the opening night actually. I had this huge desire to branch out of stage and get into film and commercial work, and um, it seemed like connections kept coming to me and friends kept coming to me who were doing film and commercial work and encouraging me to check into it, and that's kind of where I started. I started getting training after that, and so it's kind of branched from there.
0: How long had you been an actor when you decided that producing is something that you really should start exploring?
1: That's a great question. I did not produce because it was like the love of my life or anything. It actually was kind of the way for me to be a part of a project called the 168 Film Project out of Los Angeles. I Back in uh, 2011, I believe, I was working on a film project with Jen Gottson, And I really wanted to, to be on a team with the 168 project. And there were no other teams in Kansas City that had ever produced it. And so I submitted myself to some teams on LA and just couldn't make it to the casting call out there. And she looked at me and said, Anita, why don't you produce it? Why don't you form a team in Kansas City and produce, produce a short? And so my very first project that i produced was a speed competition um Mm. (laughs) and that's the beginning of when i started producing
0: what year was that
1: i think it was 2011 was when i my first year so So that was really not very long
0: ago at all
1: no actually it was 2010 2010 was when i when i did
0: it yeah we've we've actually done a, a couple of episodes on the 168 i i did an episode about a 168 project i was in and have have uh, talked about it uh, with several other people as well so i think you know some of the audience members who are regular listeners will will know what you're talking about and if not mm-hmm. go back and go back and find those you can go to actors talk podcast dot com audience and just do a search on 168 film and you can find quite a bit of information on that but it's a great program out of los angeles and um and it's just growing and growing every year and there's some fantastic shorts that come out of that program every year so it's really something that's, that's good to get involved with so you produced that film out of necessity really and You know, it's such an interesting thing because one of the things I really desire to do with the podcast is encourage actors really to be out there producing and creating content. What what I've been doing this a long time and what I've come to realize is that because of technology and the time we live in, it's never been easier, even though it's not cheap and it's not easy, it has never been easier to actually produce work and produce content. And actors simply have no excuse and should not sit around only, sit around and wait for an agent or someone to call them and invite them for the opportunity to act. They really have the opportunity because of the time that we live in and the tools that are available to get out and produce work. And I'm just really excited to talk to you about doing that very thing because you didn't stop with the 168 short film. you produced several other projects and have a number of projects sort of on your docket.
1: Yeah, actually, I, I ended up producing three three years in a row with the 168, but I've also produced... A short film called Charismata which we had optioned out for a year from a Los Angeles production company to make it into a feature film and right now I'm producing a five short film series gonna be called I will rise the I will rise project each short film is going to be focused on a different perspective or a different character per se in the sex trafficking industry and my goal is to put together this package and pull together that with curriculum to go out and teach, especially churches, but organizations, on how we can help the um, industry stop, and then point people to organizations out there that are helping to extract the, the girls and the boys from the industry as a whole. And so, not only is it equipping them for knowledge on how to how to tell. Uh, who who is being sex trafficked or potentially red flags, but also to point people to organizations that they can donate or volunteer or provide a, a safe house or whatever. So it started out with putting me in front of 168 people and trying to create content for myself. And now it's kind of getting a little broader. So, so Well, yeah.
0: let's talk about this project because that's uh, one of the things I did want to talk to you about is this five film series on sex trafficking, which is a very serious and dark sort of topic. How did you come to become or how did you come to be interested in producing something on that that topic at all? Where did that come from?
1: You know, interestingly enough, I have a 21 year old and she kind of planted the bug in me about five years ago. For whatever reason, she just came home one day and said, Mom, I really want to help or I really feel like I'm supposed to do something with this issue. Since then, it just, it it feels like I've been getting more and more sensitive to the ongoing problems within the United
0: States. Well, how did you decide to do this project in, first of all, as short film content? And secondly, how did the idea to do it in terms of a five short film series come about?
1: I knew that I wanted to do it in, in short films and five seemed to be a good content mix. There wasn't any advice given per se. I just kept seeing five short films regarding it.
0: Are you writing them or is, are you getting a writer to come on board? Are they documentary or narrative?
1: No, I have different writers and different directors for each one. I'm really leaning towards maybe doing one or two documentaries and then narrative on the other ones, showing people in a story format, what could or does happen based upon real life situations.
0: Okay. Now, how have you approached this project in terms, you know, you're going to have five films. Do you have a an outline or, or something that you want each of the five films to be about or have you gotten that far along or and have you gotten into production on even the first one yet
1: yeah we've actually wrapped the first one i'm waiting to actually see a rough cut of it as we speak so that one is wrapped and i've got an outline of the second one and potentially two documentaries so it's in works in progress right now in fact it really only started with just one idea and it just keeps kind of getting a little bigger and growing and and to be honest with you I feel like I'm I'm out in the waters <laughs> doing things that I'm not experienced with but well, you know? sometimes
0: that's how great things get done, though. You know, so if you just yeah. if you just do the things you're comfortable with, you know, usually that doesn't result in anything that's that's uh, too certainly too challenging and often something that's not particularly interesting. In a lot of cases, it's when you stretch yourself and get out there where you're uncomfortable that uh, sometimes a lot of great things can come from that. What about funding? Are you self funding this, or have you been able to reach out to investors who are interested in this issue? Funding is always a bugaboo, whether it's yeah. short films or. Yeah, it is. features well, so how are you handling that
1: well the first one was self-funded and my intent was to take about a 30 second clip of footage from that first one as well as me just sharing on video about this project and then starting a fundraiser with that so that was my intent
0: what kind of tools have you brought from your other life outside of producing into the producing realm that have really really benefited you what do you think are there any things you can point to like that, any skills or background mm-hmm. that you had
1: yeah, absolutely i There are two things that I feel are super great assets for any type of producer. one that's communication with your team and two it's organization um for the project. Those two things I feel like i I am skilled at for one, I sell real estate as as my bread and butter and I've sold for about 13 years and so the organization that involves in handling multiple clients and multiple projects is just vital and c- being able to communicate on a professional level as well as keeping things clear and organized is also an asset so I bring that to the table and I think that probably falls into being business minded and marketing and that kind of that kind of thing right. Then as far as like an actor is concerned, from the get-go, back seven years ago when I started getting on set, one of the things that I've always done is to keep a spreadsheet of every single person that I possibly can that I've met on set that has really tried to invest time in either me or allowed me to be on their set or whatever. So I have a long list of directors and producers and actors. And I try and stay connected with people as best as I can. That list has grown tremendously over the last seven years so I go through and I filter it out or whatever but reaching out to those people and at least trying to stay connected once in a while is a good thing but when you're in producer mode I really really enjoy building you know my mass email list and talking to the to my team and letting them know what's going on that to me seems like the best way for a team to feel like a team when the director and the producer are actually connecting and talking with them. I like those two things. I feel like I'm skilled with organization and communication, for sure.
0: What are the things about producing that have been the most challenging, that that you weren't prepared for, or that you've had to learn on the fly, That that's going, you know, really taxing you? Are there any things like that that, that you could share with us?
1: I would say probably... When you have different minds, creative minds together, and there's different ideas on what would look good and what would not look good, coming to a cohesive agreement of, you know, let's let's figure this out and still love each other at the end of the day, um, <laughs> that's... That's pro- I mean, and when you're, when you're dealing with creative minds and, and needing to be a problem solver at, at a certain time or trying to figure that out, that that creates a little bit of, of challenge. But I wouldn't say that, that that was a deal breaker or anything like that for me. I don't know. I, I, I love it all. And so I'm having a difficult time trying to find out anything challenging, per se, or yeah. negative. I, um,
0: well, let me ask you this. If you could only do one thing if it were acting or producing, would you be able to choose?
1: I don't know. I don't don't know. Um, And, and, you know, that's a great question. If I only had to choose one, acting was where my heart was, and it still is, and that's my first and foremost when I'm out pitching myself. But I also love to co-produce, bring something to life. You know, what do we do in that filler time when we aren't on set? Our creative mind just continues to... To flow, and I, I don't know if I, if I could, if I had to give up one, I don't know which one. I
0: <laughs> you are a regional actor, as am I. I'm in Texas. You're in Kansas City. Production has spread out all across the country, and so as a regional actor, there are a lot more opportunities for all of us. But some of those opportunities are not necessarily in the town in which we live for instance my opportunity might be in New Orleans or in Atlanta. What about you? Do you find the same kind of things that you have to look at some nearby hopefully nearby re- other regional markets in order to pursue work as an actor? Yeah,
1: absolutely. As far as looking, you know, Kansas City it seems like it's right in the heart of several different major cities. You've got Iowa, St. Louis, Oklahoma, um Nebraska, around us. And so it almost is where you you almost have to have an agent in each of those markets because, you know, my Kansas City agent does great with my Kansas City stuff, but they don't always get opportunities to even cast um, outside of this region. So it's definitely something to, to branch out and try and get those opportunities outside of it. Plus, you know, making connections with people outside of your region is also very vital, staying connected with those people to get even the opportunity to audition. That's, that is probably my biggest challenge. Honestly, Tommy is, uh, we, I live in a, in a, in an area where the, the casting agents and the, and the talent agents don't tap into the actors access world and mm. so therefore you know when an opportunity comes i've got to be very diligent to try and seek out those opportunities through yeah. actors access or my connections sure. and so it takes a lot of time and that's probably uh, where where the challenge persists is that just looking for opportunities to audition for films is probably my biggest challenge but the regional part of it is, you know, you, you you definitely love the Skyping and love the fact that more and more producers are embracing and accepting video auditions, which has been a, a huge change since when I first started. Now it seems like more and more producers and directors are accepting those video auditions. So once I find out about them, then it's really great to be able to audition for yeah, them. Yeah, it,
0: it's a huge thing. I mean, here as part of the uh, SAG-AFTRA, conservatory that I'm involved with, we've had several different workshops on trying to help all the actors get up to speed on self-recorded auditions or self-taped auditions. Yeah. And, and it's a, and it's a big deal. There's a lot of that going on and it's a big change, not only for actors, but for casting people as well. And it's just uh, just another way that the business is changing so much. And that's brought about because so much production, in different market centers, whether it's Texas or uh, Georgia or Kansas City or North Carolina or New Mexico or wherever. I mean, there there are pockets of production that are virtually everywhere now, and so actors need to be sort of up to speed on that. How many agents do you have in various markets now?
1: For me, personally? Yeah. Well, I have one in Kansas City, one in Des Moines. I have one in St. Louis. I have one in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and then I just secured one in Dallas. I do have one in Atlanta, too. you got to have an agent who will be willing to send in video auditions for you. No,
0: that's absolutely true. Sounds to me like the agents that you have don't necessarily have overlapping territories, and that's good.
1: Being in Kansas City, where they only will represent you, really, or look for projects around like a 100-mile radius... um, you almost have to have an agent in another market if you're willing to travel and you're wanting to expand your territory and branch out. So that was my goal is to just continually expand myself out and get little agents. And I've booked um, things from almost all of them. So it's, it's been well worth it for me to at least try and get that, that um, expansion
0: Right. Now, when you're you when you work in a different territory and this is something that we all face as actors and I'm bringing this up because there may be some actors who are, are just beginning or, or really haven't had to deal with this yet. Do you have to work as a local hire in those various markets or will will they transport you in and you know give you housing and per diem or how does that work in the areas that you're working in?
1: You know um in the areas that I'm working in it's kind of a mixture I've been flown to various projects um you know and, and that's been my that's been mainly my experiences they will fly me out or they will pay for my mileage um but when I first started out if you're wanting to you know branch out immediately and if you don't have the credits that that would help you know you might have to be willing to drive three hours to go and do a project that you know doesn't pay or whatever and and that's another whole situation, but I mean there have been times where if if there's a feature film, there was one feature film that I really believed in, and I loved the director and I needed to go down to Tulsa for uh, meeting my new agent and I arranged my trip to help him on his project, and and then uh, I got a pretty sweet role with it. So I think that, you know, it depends on the project, it depends on what our goals are, and it depends on, you know, what our goals are as an individual actor and what we're wanting to do with our career. And those are decisions that each individual actor is going to have to make. I mean, there's some actors that will fly places just to be on a TV show, and that's fine. And then there are other actors that that would never do that.
0: So, you know, there are times if I were a a young actor, if I were 18 and just starting out and looking to build as many credits as possible, I think I'd go almost anywhere, you know, and there are are places to go because it's, it's worth it to get that, not only that experience, but to build those relationships. And that's something I wanted to get back to. You said something so incredible. I hope that people really pick that out where you talked about making this spreadsheet of people that you work with
1: and you know I haven't been perfect with it, but at least I mean, I have this spreadsheet and i and I have a list of actors, and i I have a list of what age range they play, what their email address is, where I worked with them, what race they are, phone numbers, that whole bit so sure. when i'm when I'm working on a project, I can call on those people that i've met or. You know, a friend, and wherever they're from, I don't really keep it. You know, to just Kansas City. Sure. Um, I keep that list going, and then I do the same thing with media people, music people, directors, producers, distributors, the whole bit. Yeah. So, you know, it's really important to to realize, you know, it, that we're in this business for a reason. It, and I never, I remember, I remember specifically when I first started out. I just had this notion of, you know, I'm going to do this as a hobby and I'm going to help people out and just do this because I think it's fun and there was something that clicked in my brain when I started getting paid for work and somebody told me, "Anita, once you get paid, you're a professional at this. It's not just a hobby anymore. You've got to switch your brain around and and really take note of are you really doing this as a hobby because you love it or is this truly a profession?" a business that you're really trying to pursue. And I, I just remember the mind shift of that. And when you really look at it, that standpoint, you stand taller on set, you you start to feel like this is truly a business, you start cracking as many jokes and cutting up and all that kind of stuff, just presenting yourself a whole lot more professional on set. And I think that is what that's what separates people, but when i when I realize that this is a profession, and there's a reason why why I'm in this business and I look at the connections that I've made, and I really believe that introductions and people that I make are divine, and I may not know the reason why at that moment, but I have a responsibility to at least try and stay connected to them.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's you know, if nothing else comes out of this episode, I think that is such a fantastic thing for people to understand is to, to make those relationships and keep track of them in, in an organized fashion, not because you're trying to use people, but because it's a good a good thing to keep up with people so that you can support them and what they're doing, whether they have a job for you or not. And people appreciate that. So... So you just finished your first short film in the five film series. Is there a title for it yet?
1: Yeah, it's called House Mother.
0: House Mother, and, okay.
1: Uh-huh. okay. It's, the, it's from the perspective of a woman who is a house mother who trains and takes care of the girls who have been pimped.
0: It's a dark topic, and it's something that you're going to... Uh, try and market to churches, you think, yeah. so how do you approach a series on sex trafficking and and make it realistic enough to be effective, but also understand that you have an audience that you know you can't go too far with it
1: yeah, I, you know first of all, there's not any cursing in my projects, so that that's one language is one thing that I don't worry about, and as far as showing the actual acts of things. It's more insinuated and shown visually. Like in in house mother, one of the considerations that we had to think about was what age of girls would we use? Girls start to typically get pimped around the age of 12 to 13. Using girls around that age versus using girls that might be 17, 18, 19, it would be more impactful to show that true life. So what I did was Due to the fact that I'm a pastor's daughter and I'm very faithful to my church and have been faithful to several churches here in Kansas City and people have watched how I live my life, I was able to bring people on board and bring mothers on board with around that age girls who trust me who read the script and who knew that I was not going to endanger or infringe on their daughter's innocence. And so that I think is key when you talk about relationships and you talk about a dark subject, you've got to have somebody who is doing it with the right purpose and not to just get somebody um, on the set to infringe upon someone's innocence because the reality of it is there are directors and producers out there in this world that are just as dark as a sex trafficking industry. And so you have to be careful about that. That is one consideration and so we had to be sensitive and so I talked with the moms and I talked with the daughters and having them on board and we got more girls than we had intended. We only wanted three or four, but we ended up having like seven or eight. They were actually representing a vast amount of girls their age out there that were being victimized. Do you you
0: have anybody working with you as an expert or someone who maybe has, you know, come out of that situation or anything like that?
1: I, I have had several people who are actually in the industry helping to extract girls, read the script, give me advice. Tell me stories to help me move along the the story or give me ideas on what I could do differently on set you know one of them actually goes to my church and she's uh, helps extract girls from the industry and so um, I do have people who are helping give ideas and and well it's a help. great
0: it's a great issue you know obviously unfortunately one that needs addressing. You know, Hollywood has addressed this, but it's always in a movie as and as much as I like the movie Taken, for instance, mm-hmm. you know when you see a big budget action movie that deals with sex trafficking in a way it almost diminishes it as a real problem. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because it's it's yeah. it's somehow the 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 intent is to make it an action thriller, but it almost doesn't seem real. Because you know it's over the top violence and all that. And so mm-hmm. I guess, you know, subliminally, you think, well, it's all over the top and it's just a, a Hollywood yeah. movie, but it's a real, real problem.
1: Well, and one of the things too about Taken is when I first watched that movie, I thought to myself, oh my goodness, that goes on in our world. And not even realizing that it could happen right here in our country, you know, where, where the people might be taken, but not necessarily to a different uh, continent, right. sure, you know, sure. But I, I think that when I started embracing a little more knowledge, because it was not knowledge that I really wanted to know about. To be honest with you, it's something that I still, with fear and respect for what is going on and the the people who are who are victimized. It's not fun information to learn about, and sure. it's not. It's not a comedic subject. And no. so I think that one of the things that I I believe happened to me and what happens to so many people in America is we live in this bubble and we don't think, especially in the Bible Belt region, we just don't see a lot of stuff going on. And so therefore we block it out of our brains, we walk block it out of our our little feelers and our sensitivity tracks are way off. And the reality of it is, Kansas City is ranked fairly high in the sex trafficking industry and people just do not know about it. And so I think that bubble is what, what I'm trying to break. We as a society need to be more engaged with our children. We need to be more engaged with what's going on in our country. We need to be more engaged with what's going on in society you know, from the clothes that our daughters are wearing and to who their friends are, who their mentors are. And if we as parents would do our job, our daughters will be safer.
0: So House Mother is the first in a series of five films that you're producing on this very important issue of sex trafficking. Will all five be released simultaneously or will you release them as they're produced or how are you going to,
1: you know, that's a really good question. I, with my, the end in mind is to produce them all together and have them on a DVD along with the curriculum. Right. However, I will probably release the first one as more of a foundation and soon to be coming, but th- that's my plan. But I also need to raise funds to finish the other four right. and th- and then raise funds as-, as far as getting a curriculum written and get advice and a panel for that. So right. we're looking at probably a year before it's out, right. but that's my plan and that's yeah. my goal.
0: Anita, thanks so much. It's very, very interesting. I really love finding out what uh, an actor is doing in a regional market, not only as an actor, but as a producer and what you're doing there is is really exciting stuff you're not sitting around waiting for things to happen you're making things happen and i think that's a great lesson for all of us really who yeah. who are actors and there there's a lot we can do and don't uh, we don't have to always just wait for someone to give us permission to act thank you so much anita cordell thank you tommy and, oh yeah thank you and i really really appreciate it oh, well 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 Anita Cordell, very, very nice, dynamic lady, terrific actress and producer, and it was a real kick to get to talk to her. I've known Anita for a few years just as a Facebook friend, and got to meet her recently when she was in Austin, when she had one of her films, Charismata, that she mentioned, I believe, in the interview, if that didn't get cut out, I don't remember, Uh, she had that film here at uh, the Attic Film Festival a few months ago and I actually got to meet her in person she and the director Joni Adal very very nice ladies Anita thanks again really enjoyed it thanks for all you're doing for your inspiration as an actor and producer we look forward to seeing I Will Rise as it continues through its production cycle five films what an ambitious project and what uh, a great goal to shoot for and and on an important topic. Thanks everyone again for getting in touch and letting me know that you missed me while I was gone. That makes me feel really good. And I do appreciate it more than I can tell you. Check out com for links that will be of interest in this episode or about this episode. And um, join us in a few weeks. I have uh, several things that I'm trying to put together and we'll have another episode up in two to three weeks until then god bless you and as always i hope to see you in the movies this is tommy saying so long